Hello, psychos, and welcome to the very first episode of Air Unknown, a mystery podcast. This podcast is for all the weirdos out there, like mysteries of the world, true crime, uh, conspiracies, treasure. Oh yeah, there's going to be treasure. Scary stories, paranormal, aliens, unexplained phenomena, you name it. We're going we're gonna to talk about it here. Um, we're going to dive deep into the unknown and um and just get weird together i've been weird forever so i probably watched too much x-files as a kid and it it screwed my brain up for real so um that's me (laughs) i moved from chicago to la the beginning of this year right in time for covid so that was fun and Now, I don't have a job, and I'm a musician that can't perform live, so I thought, what better time to start a podcast than in quarantine, you know? And I'm sure a million other people had the same idea, so. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about the Bridgewater Triangle as the very first episode of Error Unknown. I'm very excited about this one because it literally has everything. This story has, this honestly, this area of the U.S. has every single weird thing you could possibly want to hear about in one story. Um, it's got, it's got Bigfoot claims. It's got big-ass birds. It's got UFO sightings cults, serial killers, hauntings. It's got the whole fucking gambit. And I thought, what better way to start off this podcast than just like encompassing everything I want to talk about into one story. So this was a perfect one. Um, I got a lot of my sources, uh, a lot of my information from sources like um, Christopher Pittman's article on cedarwalls.com, everybody's favorite Wikipedia, and actually, the Morbid podcast did a really great two-part series on this, and it's very in-depth and amazing, so go check that out. Um, let's get into this. So, the Bridgewater Triangle is an area of about 200 square miles within southeastern Massachusetts, and it's claimed to be the site of alleged paranormal phenomena ranging from UFOs to poltergeists, or orbs, balls of fire, and various Bigfoot claims, giant snakes, and thunderbirds. And if you don't know what a thunderbird is, keep listening. You're in for a treat. Um, So the specific boundaries of the triangle uh, were first 
defined by cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman in the 1970s, and then later in his book Mysterious America, which I have not read, but after doing all this research on this topic, I'm 100% going to get that book because it seems pretty pretty awesome. Um, the Bridgewater Triangle encompasses the towns of Abington, uh, Rehoboth, uh, and Freetown, sorry. I hope I pronounced those right. I probably didn't, but Abington, Rehoboth, and Freetown at the points of the triangle. And actually, similar claims have been made about the neighboring town in Vermont called the Bennington Triangle. So lots of weird shit happening in this little corner of the country. Um, but let's to go. Let's go for a little history on the area. Um, this area in southeastern Massachusetts was first owned by the Native American tribe or like collection of tribes called Wampanoag, the Wampanoag people. And that was in the beginning of the 17th century at the time of the first contact with the English uh, colonists. Their population numbered in the thousands. It was said that like 3,000 Wampanoag lived on Martha's Vineyard alone. So that's a pretty big tribe of people. Um... From 1615 to 1619, they suffered an epidemic that caused a huge fatality rate and decimated their population. Um, A lot of researchers actually suggest that the losses from the epidemic were so large that colonists were able to establish their settlements in that area much more easily, which is terrible. Um, More than 50 years later, in 1675, King Philip's war resulted in the death of like 40% of the surviving tribe. Uh, Many of the male Wampanoag were sold into slavery in Bermuda in the West Indies, and some women and children were enslaved by colonists in New England, which is fucking absolutely horrific. And sadly, a story that we don't really hear enough, as it's the same situation for most of the areas in this country. Um, And we just decide to celebrate it instead, which is ridiculous. But here we are. Um, the tribe largely disappeared from historical records after the late 18th century, and although its people and descendants persisted, survivors continued to live in their traditional areas, maintain many aspects of their culture. Um, the government did, like, a lot of taking and giving back some land and taking back more and all that bullshit. Um, but knowing all this, we can only assume that Native American burial grounds are hot as hell in this area. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's get to some of the locations of weird happenings. At the center of it all, we've got Hockamock Swamp. And it's, it's central in the area, but considered the largest freshwater swamp in the state. And it acts as a natural flood control mechanism for the region. Um, it's actually an Algonquin term for the place where spirits dwell, which is creepy as hell. And you can only guess that this is a super chill area. Like, nothing weird's happening in the place where spirits dwell. It was used as a fortress by the Wampanoag against invasion by early English settlers, and also played a huge role in King Philip's War as a strategic base of operations for him to launch assaults on nearby English settlements and... I mean, we could talk about King Philip's War forever because it was fucked, but I'm not going to do that. Um, But not only that, they also deemed the swamp highly valuable because they could, like, hunt there, and it was very life-sustaining. 
it also served a, as a dual purpose of everyone say it together a sacred burial ground um so it's haunted as fuck the Hakmak Swamp, they say, is cursed or haunted by evil spirits. Um, for as long as the elders can remember, the Native Americans avoided the swamp completely after dark, and many were afraid to hunt or fish there even during the day. It's said that the Wampanoag had cursed the swamp centuries ago because of the poor treatment they received from the colonial settlers. Um... Several years ago, a team of Massachusetts archaeologists discovered a burial ground on Grassy Island in the swamp. And this is so fucking weird. Incredibly, when the ancient human remains were unearthed, the red okra surrounding the skeletons bubbled and inexplicably dissolved. Which is, like what the fuck and then all of the photos that were taken to like document the excavation completely failed to develop properly so fucking weird weird shit already happening um let's get into some bigfoot claims this shit is so funny i've like never believed in any bigfoot shit for my whole life i think it's just a crock of shit but these are really these these accounts are are kind of are kind of creepy um in 1970 many people saw a hairy seven foot tall monster sometimes standing upright but sometimes running on all fours which is like the creepiest thing ever um footprints footprints were found in the mud and for two days and nights bridgewater police and massachusetts state police with attack dogs staged a hunt for a giant bear even though bears have long been extinct in the region. And, of course, nothing was found. <laughs> um, Bridgewater resident Joseph M. DeAndred, DeAndred, had uh, he was instrumental in investigating and publishing these reports. Um, since 1978, he had collected sighting reports and gone into the swamp searching for evidence of the Hakamak monster. One person told him that some years ago while hunting, his uncle had shot an animal that looked like a bear. And after the shot, the boy and his uncle heard a cry that seemed like half animal and half human. And the animal disappeared into the woods after it was shot. But later, they found blood and long brown hair on the leaves. I don't know who this witness was. It doesn't have his name, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. But the same witness claimed that he and a family member were picnicking near a pond when they heard a loud splash, like a large object object falling into the water. And when they went to the water's edge, the family saw several dead fish just floating on top of the water. And Deandre also published a report by the by um, a West Bridgewater woman who looked into her garden. This one's so weird. She looked into her garden one night and saw a very tall bipedal creature covered with dark hair eating a pumpkin it was holding in its hands. And then it, it looked at her with reddish-orange eyes and then ran into the woods taking the pumpkin with it. I thought that was so funny, but, like, how terrifying. You're, like, standing at your window and looking into your garden and, like, this giant fucking creatures just go into town on your pumpkins like nah dude um 
And Deandred actually has a story of his own of what he saw in Hockamock Swamp. In 1978, he was 24 years old and was standing on the shore of Clay Banks, a pond near the swamp, and he had his back to the water. And this is in his own words, quote, I was standing there and for some reason I had to turn around. It was a chill or something inside me. I turned around and there, off to the right, maybe 200 yards away, was this, well, I don't know what it was. It was a creature that was all brown and hairy, like a big apish and man thing, staring straight back at me. It was making its way to the woods, but I didn't stick around to watch where it was going. I ran for the street. Unquote. Uh, He has never figured out to this day what he saw. Um... But he later wrote two whole books about his experiences and started a group called the Paranormal Investigation Organization. So, yeah. I mean, like, same dude. I wouldn't fucking stick around for any of that. I would just peace the fuck out. No way. About five years later, John Baker, a veteran fur trapper, was on his canoe in a river uh, in the swamp at night, which is like, yo, dude, do it in the daytime. What the hell are you doing at night? I don't know if fur trapping, like, must be done after the, like, moon comes up. But, like, yo, you're just asking for creepy shit to happen. He was in his canoe running trap lines when he became aware of something watching him nearby. And apparently this is a thing that a lot of people report, like, they feel like they're being watched or followed. Um, but he told the Boston Herald... Something was following me, and I knew it was big. So I took the boat down a small creek to a dry hill, and it kept moving. Baker could hear the ice in the swamp cracking as the creature came within a few yards of him. Oh my god, that's fucking terrifying. The Herald described the monster as a shadowy, hair-covered giant, and he then heard a loud crash and a rumble of the animal in the nearby woods, and said... This is fucking terrifying. I knew it wasn't a human because when it passed by me, I could smell it. It smelled like a skunk, musty and dirty, like it lived in the dirt. No, no. Goodbye. Not happening. Baker spent over 30 years working in the swamp, but never had another similar experience before or after. Um, And then one of the last ones I have here for... Uh, Bigfoot is on April 8th, 1970, two police officers were sitting in their car when it suddenly began to lift off the ground. When they felt someone lifting the back of their car in the air, one of the officers like turned around, put a spotlight on it and claimed it looked like a massive bear man. And then it just ran into the woods. And of course, no bear was ever found because bears don't fucking live in, in this area. They just don't. Um, and those those are, those are two police officers. Like, I mean, I know this day and age, we don't trust no cops, but like in the seventies, like, I don't know. That's a pretty credible source, right? I don't know. Um, let's move on to big ass birds. And also there, there are so many more accounts like this, but like, I'm just going to do a couple um, a couple per sighting. Um, so big ass birds (laughs) or thunderbirds. So certain tribes 
believed in thunderbirds, which were legendary giant condor-like birds with great powers. And there have been numerous sightings of giant pterodactyl-like creatures similar to thunderbirds around the swamp, like so, so many. And like, not like, they're not like spaced out like one was in the 80s and one was in the 90s. It's like, like a point of time, like a week and like dozens of sightings are reported. But in 1971, a Norton police sergeant, Thomas Downey, was driving near Bird Hill, which is a little funny, it's called Bird Hill, when he claimed to have seen a six-foot-tall creature with a wingspan nearly double its size. So that's like a fucking 12-foot-wide wingspan. It's enormous. He watched it stand there, spread its wings, and lift into the air and fly away. I, no, absolutely not. Goodbye. I'm not, I'm immediately throwing that bitch in reverse and getting the hell out of there. And the thing is, he didn't even want to talk about it ever. Like he told, apparently he like told a few people, but like, and papers, the newspapers and stuff wanted to interview him about it. And he was like, nah, like people are going to think I'm insane. Like I'm not, I don't want to talk about it. So that's almost like more credible to me than, like, just, like, a person running to the newspaper and being like, guess what I saw? A huge fucking bird. Like, I don't know. Um, that was, like, one of the the best um, sightings that I could find on birds. But let's move over to UFO sightings because there's a good amount here. Um, <laughs> the first ever strange occurrence to happen in the Bridgewater Triangle was a UFO sighting. And it actually started as a strange noise that no one could identify. It was like billowing from the sky, like echoing. And then witnesses observed strange glowing shapes in the sky, bright enough to cast a shadow in broad daylight. So that's got to be huge and terrifying to witness. And the newspapers recorded it and became the first ever UFO sighting in this area. And that was in 1760. I didn't even know they had newspapers in 1760, but I guess people have been recording shit like that since since before then. So, um, Ever since the first UFO sighting, people have said that they sometimes see a ball of fire in the night sky, so bright that it lights up entire towns. And in 2011, actually, multiple witnesses, like 21 separate reports were filed about uh, spotted balls of fire in the sky. And it's not the sun. I know what you're thinking. It's just the fucking sun. But no, it was at nighttime. There were many UFO sightings in this area during the mid-1960s, and reports continued to come in through the decades. Um, Here are a couple of the notable ones. July 3rd, 1972, people in the South Shore area of Massachusetts looked up into the night sky and spotted a large triangular object that looked like a baseball diamond. Which we all know from the Phoenix Lights, that's what they fucking look like. Uh, It was reported to be translucent by many. And despite the many, many calls to the local naval base inquiring about the object, no one to this day has an answer to what it was. And the object was reportedly, reportedly visible for over half an hour. And at least 26 people confirmed seeing it. So like... That would, that's crazy. 
There's another one here. Two huge UFOs were seen landing near Route 44 in Taunton in December 1976. And Route 44 actually has, like, a lot of paranormal phenomena around it. We'll get into it a little later on. But um, on March 23rd, 1979, two newsmen from WHDH saw an object shaped like a home plate on a baseball diamond amid a mysterious green substance at the junction of routes 24 and 106 in Taunton. Also in January 1991, a green flying disc was seen in Bridgewater moving slowly and silently at an altitude of about 50 feet, illuminating a large area with a powerful spotlight. So like more about these bright like orbs in the sky. <laughs> this it's it's crazy. Like when you hear the same thing that people are you know stating that they've seen in the sky. It's like that 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 was something that was real. There was something in the sky that they were seeing. Was it a UFO? We're not we're not sure, but actually it probably was because if you know anything about 2020, we now know that aliens are real. The government just decided to give us that one in 2020. Like, we wouldn't even notice. Like, yo, they're fucking real, guys. Look it up. Um, What else we got? In late, uh, late November 1997, a law enforcement officer was working the night shift in Bridgewater and saw a very large triangular UFO with three white and two red star-like lights. On December 10th, 1998, a witness near Route 44 in Middleborough saw a strange, brightly lit craft with numerous red, green, and white lights maneuvering over Asawampset Pond. Asawampset Pond in Middleborough. I hope I said that right. The object, this is crazy. The object split into two, and then the two UFOs flew geometric patterns at high speeds around the sky, displaying spectacular colored lights. The craft then joined into one again and disappeared. <laughs> Just like, what the fuck? <laughs> the Air Force, uh, Air Force planes were seen over the pond immediately following the incident, apparently searching for something. So, clearly aliens. Um, I don't know how much clearer it needs to be. They thought that they could pull one over on us, but like, no, we know we're not idiots. Also, in the summer of 1999, 20-year-old George Lacasse saw a UFO in his UFO in his hometown, Bridgewater, according to the local newspaper. The Sunday Enterprise, Lacasse saw a distant red light. He stated it was moving all around. It was moving in shapes planes don't move in. I mean, guys. <laughs> Fucking UFOs. They're real. Let's move on down to cults. This one is weird because we're not sure if the cults exist. But here are some weird things about possible cultists um, in the area. Beginning in the 1990s, Freetown police found mutilated cows in nearby forests. All seem to have been slain in ritualistic manners, and it has been suggested that 
It is the work of satanic cultists. To this day, no one was ever caught, and no one knows what group or individuals was doing it. Um, Local television stations reported two specific incidences in 1998, one in which a single adult cow was found butchered in the woods, and another where a group of calves were discovered in a clearing grotesquely mutilated, or sacrificed as the police termed it. Despite the police's insistence in the reality of some sinister, elusive cult, no cultist or solid evidence to support their existence has ever, ever been found. And nobody even knows where the cows came from in the first place. Like, nobody had reported cows missing. It was just like, these cows showed up completely mutilated. That's disgusting. Um... Moving on to something a little sadder, um, it kind of might tie into the cult theory, but there were dead bodies. There's a ton of dead bodies that have been found around the triangle. Um, On December 28, 2014, a resident of North Quincy Street was walking his dog in a 20-acre wooded area near the Abington Town Line when he came across 20-year-old Ashley Milet's dismembered remains that were among a pile of stacked wood about 50 yards from his home. Um, Underneath Milet's body, police actually found the remains of Linda Schufeld, who was 50 years old, which had been there longer and had decomposed mostly bones, police said. So not only were they, like, stacked on top of each other, which is super weird, but many of their body parts were severed, including a foot, a calf, and part of an arm. And there were also signs of ritualistic activity. So super sad. I mean, that could be possibly related to the cult theory, but again, no arrests have been made in the case at all. And investigators have said um, what... They haven't said what have connected the two women, um, but interviews with their loved ones portrayed them as generous people who became vulnerable due to substance abuse and their trusting ways, which is just very sad. Um, In 2001, two men were found shot to death and abandoned in the forest, and also the Lizzie Borden murders also happened in this area. So, and there's so many more, like, random killings and bodies turning up in places. Um, But let's go to hauntings because that's the obvious next step is ghosts. Um, Again, so many, so many paranormal phenomena around these areas, around the Bridgewater Triangle. One the most notable one being the red-headed hitchhiker. Uh, it's one of the most popular, most notorious phantoms in Massachusetts. And the story goes that he walks along a dark stretch of road in the town of uh, Reboth. Reboth? I'm definitely butchering that name. For more than three decades, a red-headed man has been seen walking down Route 44, waiting to be picked up. At times, he has been seen hitchhiking. Other times, he has been seen walking into the woods or into the middle of the road, not moving as a car passes through him. Um, At least once, he was seen outside of the window of a car that was moving at more than 40 miles per hour. That's 
imagine just like driving in your car down a road late at night and just like looking over and through the window you see a face like traveling with you it's just absolutely terrifying i would crash my car in a second um who the man was is kind of a mystery several people have died along that stretch of road including a man matching the phantom's description but no one can say for sure who the man is or when the haunting started He is described as being more than six feet tall, well-built, having red hair and a red beard, and is often seen wearing jeans or work pants, but is always described as wearing a red flannel shirt. That's, like, pretty consistent through all the sightings. Um, It's somewhat tucked in, sometimes left out. Um, Some travelers see him as well-kempt, but he's also been seen with, like, his characteristic red hair disheveled and dirty um and then the people who come into contact with him can tell he's not human by his eyes which are all often described as completely lifeless uh most of the encounters follow a similar pattern someone is driving along usually alone when they see a man in or alongside the road they may either hit him or stop to pick him up And the hitchhiker will interact with the person and then eventually vanish before their eyes or will no longer be there when they turn to look. This is followed by some type of finale where he, like, yells at them or laughs hysterically or, like, taunts them. And then they run away scared shitless, apparently. So there are, like, two really good stories that I'm going to tell you about the redheaded hitchhiker. A woman once reported stopping to pick the man up, and as he was going to grab the door handle, he disappeared, and then her car battery died, and then heard a man laughing hysterically at her, although the man could no longer be seen. A lot of them kind of have that element to them. Um, Another witness said the hitchhiker appeared in the back seat of his car through the rearview mirror. And then the radio started to scan the stations and then became so loud it shook the car. The phantom disappeared and began to laugh through the radio. Like, no, dude. No. Fuck that. (laughs) Um, Local legend says that if three people are driving in the same car on Route 44, the red-headed hitchhiker will appear in the empty seat. So, don't fucking do it. Just don't avoid Route 44 at all costs. Um, This is the best one, I think. The most disturbing story tells of a couple who broke down at about 10 p.m. The woman stayed in the car while the man went to get help. They both suffered separate experiences. The man, when he got out of the car and started walking to get help, he saw the hitchhiker on the side of the road and tried to talk to him to get help. The redheaded man began yelling at him and then disappeared laughing from all directions. And the man booked it back to the car. And then the woman was, he came upon his wife or girlfriend or whatever outside of the car, standing there like shivering in fright. And she said that, she heard a voice come over the radio taunting her and laughing hysterically until she ran from the car. So, like, no. 
anything that happens with the radio, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's the creepiest part of this is like laughing coming from all sides of you and radios like violently changing channels and laughing coming through the radio. Like, nah, I'm good. I'm good on all that. One of the sites associated with ancient Native American activity in the Bridgewater Triangle has earned a reputation for being haunted in modern times. So along Route 44, this same stretch of road, uh, lies a boulder known as Anawan Rock. Located in the swamp, it was here that the uh, Wampanoag chief Anawan surrendered to the colonists, thus ending King Philip's War. And according to local belief, the angry spirits of the warriors captured that day continue to haunt the spot. Witnesses report frequently seeing or smelling smoke in the area, despite the fact that no fires can be located. One pair of visitors to Anawan Rock saw a bonfire blazing on top of the rock, which disappeared right before their eyes. Another individual was scared away from the site by a loud, angry male voice shouting, Lutash, Lutash. And of course, later it was found that this word is an Algonquin term meaning stand and fight. That's fucking creepy as hell. (laughs) Like, nah. (laughs) Oh, God. There was like a lot of stories that I came across of like people hearing uh, Native American words for things. Um, like one woman, one paranormal investigator went into the forest and like remembered a certain word that meant friend because she wanted to like, let them know that she was a friend. Um, and it's like recorded. I don't have the recording obviously, but it was recorded when she was leaving the forest. Like it just kept saying friend, friend, like a voice from nowhere kept saying friend in, uh, the Wampanoag language. Um, I think we're going to end with something a little more lighthearted because, but it's still creepy as fuck. Um, but let's end up with Puckwudgies. Now, Puckwudgie is a funny word. <laughs> it means little wild man of the woods that vanishes. And it, which sounds cute, but like, hold on to your butts, because, like, it's not at all. It's a human-like creature found in the Wampanoag folklore, sometimes said to be four to five feet tall, with human-like features, but with, like, larger ears, larger noses, and, like, large fingers. Their skin has been described as gray and smooth, and they have often been compared to trolls and, like, goblins. So I'm thinking about, like, Dobby, or more like Creature from Harry Potter. Um, according to legend, puckwudgies can appear and disappear at will, lure people to their deaths, use magic, launch poison arrows, and create fire. Native Americans believe that puckwudgies were once friendly to humans, but then turned against them and are best left alone. (laughs) Which, like, yeah, for sure. I'm not trying to get into a tiff with a fucking troll. I'm good. Uh, according to lore, a person who annoyed a Pukwudgie would be subject to nasty tricks by it or subject to being followed by the Pukwudgie who would cause trouble for them. They're known to, and this is what I mean by, they sound cute, but they're not. They're known to kidnap people, push them off cliffs, 
attack their victims with short knives and spears, and use sand to blind their victims, like throw sand in their face and blind them. So in other words, they go from zero to 100, like real quick. <laughs> and, and so they exist in the Freetown State Forest, apparently, aka the scariest fucking place on earth. And um, it, there's a 100-foot cliff known as the Ledge that overlooks a quarry. And there have been several suicides at the Ledge by people not known to be mentally ill at all. Like, and apparently people are like, yo, Pukwudgies are luring people to their deaths here. And they actually, like, erected a sign at the Freetown State Forest that says Pukwudgie Crossing because so many people have reported seeing these tiny little troll people. So let's get into some of these weird stories. Um, one of the most famous encounters occurred in the forest. A local named Joan was walking her dog along a path in the forest, something she had done many times before, and without warning, her dog became, uh, began running excitedly off the path and into the forest. When the dog finally stopped running and Joan caught her breath, she raised her head and found herself face to face with a small humanoid creature. According to Joan, the being was not rough, was like roughly two feet tall with pale green, uh, gray skin and short, stocky legs. It had large lips, a canine-like nose, and a human-like face. Um, run. I guess run would be the only logical thing to do. The creature did not make a move towards Joan and her dog, and Joan simply stared. Soon her dog began pulling her back towards the path like a good fucking dog does, and Joan eventually followed. Unsettled by this strange and unexplainable experience, she tried to forget it, but later that night, and for a number of weeks, the creature would appear at her bedroom window in the middle of the night and wake her up and, like, tap on the window. Which is literally a nightmare. That's a fucking nightmare. Are you kidding me? And then this story, this next story is, like, legit the scariest thing I've ever heard. It's terrifying. Um... In 1990, William Russo was working the three to midnight shift at work, and he lived and worked in Raynham, Massachusetts. So one night he gets off work, he goes home, and he takes his Rottweiler German Shepherd mix dog for a, for a walk, like a good dog owner, like get home from a long shift to take your dog out. So this dog is 90 pounds, huge ginormous dog, Rottweiler, German Shepherd, like, he's a beast. And he is going for a walk around his neighborhood, but he decided to take a slightly different route than normal and started walking along these, like, huge pine trees and power lines behind his home. He went about a half a mile and came up on a big water wheel from an old ironworks building from, like, hundreds of years ago. And there was this street light that casts like a huge light on the road below it. He said this light was like 10 feet in diameter. As soon as they walked up to the road, 
the dog started immediately quivering and pulling and looked terrified. And dude, I trust dogs so much more than people. Like as soon as I can tell the dogs are sensing stuff, I'm like, fuck this. I'm out of here. Like I always say, like whenever I actually buy a home, I'll know whether or not it's haunted because I'm sure my dog will be the first one to know. And I'm gonna fucking listen to her. I'm gonna be like, okay, cool. Bye. I'm out of here. Like, no dogs, no shit. But he said his dog was quote rattling like an old Chevy, which is fucking hilarious and such like an old geezer thing to say, which I love. Um, he then heard a high pitched wail that said the words, Iwanchu, Iwanchu, Kier, Kier. Like, to me, that sounds like, we want you, come here. Iwanchu, Iwanchu, Kier, Kier. He's heard those words, and he looked up, and he saw something in the middle of the light that was shining down on the street that was like four, three to four feet tall, standing on two legs, covered in hair, with a pot belly, which like arguably the pot belly is kind of cute, but covered in hair speaking to you. I'm good on that. He said its face looks like a chipmunk with slightly bigger eyes than a human. So like not like crazy huge eyes, but like slightly bigger than a person. He thought it kind of looked like a child, but the more he looked at it, it seemed like it was in the early stages of old age. So I'm picturing like a menacing Benjamin Button looking ass troll, basically. It was holding its arms out at him, talking to him, but it kept saying the same thing over, over, like beckoning, beckoning at him, like, he wants you, he wants you, cure, cure. It's fucking terrifying. <laughs> he said he didn't feel threatened, but it definitely felt like he was trying to get him to come closer to him. He was terrified. His huge dog was terrified, and they ran the fuck home. And he said he stayed up all night trying to collect his thoughts and, like, figure out what the hell he saw. Um, But he came to the conclusion that he was, like, he was definitely saying, we want you here, here. Like, he was trying to speak English to him. He said he's never seen anything weird other than that. Nothing has ever happened like this to him. And... He never told anybody about it either until, like, 20 years later. He was, like, getting older and, like, and he was, like, God, fuck, I got to tell somebody what I saw so people know. And then he never saw, he never saw it again. Which, like, again, like, the people not telling anybody about it until way later on, like, that just seems way more credible to me than somebody who's rushing to the papers and wanting their little bit of fame I don't know. It's pretty fucking terrifying, though. Um, There's so much more to this story. So if you want, like, a really comprehensive, detailed account of this whole area in the Bridgewater Triangle, go check out the Morbid Podcast because they really do a great job at, like, diving into the whole history of King Philip's War. And there's so many more details. Um, But I was just excited about this one because it has so much and it did like encompass a lot of the topics that I want to later talk about in this podcast. 
So, and it's also something that people don't really seem to know a whole lot about, which kind of baffled me. Like, I had never heard about the Bridgewater Triangle. Like, we all hear about the Bermuda Triangle, and that always gets all the clout. But, you know, Bridgewater Triangle, it's got a bunch, it's got so much more shit, guys. Like, I couldn't even, I, it, this would be like a three-part series if I actually wanted to get into every single detail about it. But the Morbid Podcast really does a great job. Um, at going through the details, but thank you guys so much for listening. I know this was like a kind of a short one, um, but please tell a friend about this podcast if you're into it and if they're weird like us and would like this sort of thing. Um, it would also mean the world to me if you could just give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps when people are searching for podcasts and for us to like actually show up. That only happens with engagement and ratings and stuff. So please do that if you would be so kind. Also, follow us on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcast goodies. Um, we're also on Instagram and Twitter at Error Unknown Podcast. And if you ever want to chat or tell us like a weird-ass story of your own, uh, you can email me at errorunknownpodcast at gmail.com. Because I definitely want to do like an episode where... Um, you guys send in your weird personal stories, crazy paranormal shit, whatever, whatever you got. So thank you so much. Love you. Stay weird. Talk to you next week. Bye.